0: Hey, Ruth. Hey, Rachel. Let's get the fuck out of Lovecraft Country.
1: So I wanted to ask you, was this the slow, creeped out episode that you wanted?
2: Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) No, no, it was not. I I had some hopes at first. I was really getting into the slow vibe when they were... Well, the opening was very unexpected for a bit. Oh yeah, yeah,
1: because it was like the the good times. um, (laughs) Yeah, it was the Jeffersons' dance number, and everyone was having a great old time. And it was was funny to me that like um, Letty's got like all her fabulous clothes, and the parallel to that, it's George's like (laughs) leather-bound books. Yeah,
2: I I loved those two, but when we finally got back to Tick and he's just sitting there thinking and feeling really concerned, and I thought, okay, good, good, because otherwise I had no idea what was going on. And I I did find it really creepy at first that both George and Letty had no idea yeah. what had
1: happened. So that reveal that they didn't remember anything that like made it retroactively creepy, though. <laughs>
2: We had breakfast. With William skulking around and then the
1: whole thing with the car. So it's a whole like, nothing happened. What are you talking about? You were disoriented when you came here, but it was both nothing and like, you're wrong about what it was. But there's a reason why Tick remembers and it's because they're fucking with him.
2: He's got that blood ancestry that the other two don't.
1: So it seems to me like... So you think like the spell wouldn't have even worked on him if they tried to cast it on him?
2: Maybe they could do an intentional forgetting spell on him, but I think as a son of sons, he's a little more immune to that kind of thing. That's the sense I got, that the spell is meant for outsiders, like they say later on, and Mm -hmm. he's not technically an outsider. He's got that insider connection. And so they just don't care enough to make it coherent across all three, right? Mm -hmm. They're not going to put the effort into making him forget stuff.
1: Even though like something is afoot, because they don't remember how they got there, Uncle George is like, let's just chill out and then we'll figure out what to do. And then they go down to the creepy village.
2: In IMDB, I saw one of the kids from the village, the one who had the speaking part later, described as being Adamite. Which makes me wonder if they've got some kind of weird religion going on. I just like to step in for the Mennonites and say, "No, those were not Mennonites and those were not Amish. I'm sure somebody thought they were, but that's not that's not it. And we weren't in Massachusetts.
1: Well, the village was extremely creepy to me. One, they've got a giant prison in the middle of their town. That's just normal. Right? Just a towering century building in the middle of your town which you could watch over everyone yeah full of hogs on hooks which is i mean i know that's how butchering works but uh meat on hooks is creepy also you don't need a tower that tall You have a safe
2: stone structure to keep it away from bears really what do you need all the other floors for
1: Okay, well, step back a moment. They go up to the prison because they want to know about it, where they meet the most racist white woman in town, and she's got the most racist kind of dogs, German Shepherds. She does not like them, and she proceeds to, like, slow burn racist them for so long. Oh, it was so uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, she really drew that out. I feel like if I met that woman, I wouldn't be able to believe that she was not a racist. Oh, so the other thing about the town that was super creepy is not like the traditional dress of everyone, although they live in the shadow of a secret mansion and it's a secret creepy town with secret secrets.
2: Yeah, and they've got outfits that haven't changed in, I don't know, a hundred-ish years.
1: I have a theory about what happened to the village after the end of the episode. This is actually the village in M. Night Shyamalan's The Village, and they (laughs) they just retconned their creepy demon history to be more approachable for the 90s.
2: Racist dog lady. What is her thing? Like, what is her role? Is she the groundskeeper?
1: Yeah, I think that she's the sheriff. She's got the dogs by the prison. It's just like Uncle George said. And she's also not just running those dogs, but running the monsters in the woods later on when they're a little late getting home. And the monsters come after them. And... Christina Braithwaite comes and rescues them on a white horse like some goddamn elf.
2: I know. Yeah, in the (laughs) woods. Like, she's creepy as fuck. But that was a really weird scene. It was a little like, I'm sorry, did your fantasy novel just
1: ride into this (laughs)
2: horror story?
1: Oh, and there she goes. Okay, but the creepiest thing about the town was the children playing like the maypole dance around the crop dolly of a woman like Did you that
2: with a red thread yes, yes yes i noticed that twice i even rewound the second time i watched
1: it i was like what literally what is that what are they doing what is the backstory of that and i don't know if there is one or if it was just like oh i think that this will be creepy and we should do that and it was interesting to me
2: that the people from the village didn't in any way engage with our main trio these people, I wouldn't think, would get normal tourists. Maybe they get people from the manor. Mm-hmm. And they just don't think about or engage with these people. Have they just been there since the olden days? Do they get protection from the house? Does it preserve right. them from some kind of outside influence?
1: So you got that with the farmers and some animal husbandry <laughs> yeah, going on. Just regular, normal, wholesome animal husbandry. Wholesome farmers. They were super wholesome. They seemed really nice. Really nice, and they were just helping a monster be born, and then we had a very tender moment with a tender, slimy, cooing monster—the miracle of life. <laughs> My husband started going "aww"
2: during. I was, I like I was like, "That is, I'm sorry, that is a monster."
1: That was some adorable chittering, and christina was you know really moved by the experience and that was like oddly touching but i was right the house is pro monsters that's mm-hmm. the real big takeaway for me so on the way back to tick's room she starts
2: answering his questions and he points out to her that by gaslighting his um his companions, She's made it unfair. It's not that he doesn't have friends, it's that the circumstances, which are possibly just side effects of his birthright, keep his friends from being able to remember the monsters. And then it's such it is such a fairy tale kind of moment where he says that he wants her to give them back the memories. And she says, Okay. And then of course they're all trapped in their rooms. Right. And that was so painful, and I was just like, oh no, you made the bargain with the genie, you made the bargain with the genie, you didn't spell out the terms. Like,
1: I will give you something, but only if it also benefits me.
2: And can we say a lesson from this is, don't walk into a room if there are sigils carved into the doorway. Yes, they could
1: have not have been more apparent. (laughs) They were like, the center of the scene, and I was like, what the hell is that? And then they glowed, and I was like, "Mm mm-mm. Yep. Now you've done it. But that was the time where Uncle George found the secret chamber. And the secret library. Tracking back a little bit, Atticus and Christina have this lesson with Samuel Breithwaite in his lab. When we walk in there, he's having some surgery.
2: Can I tell you what he's having done? Yes. He's having his liver extracted.
1: Absolutely. Right. So at dinner, yeah, it's clearly liver
2: I happen to know some fun facts about livers due entirely to my mother having cancer that was located in her liver. This raised questions about liver transplants, other kinds of liver surgery. What I learned was that you can actually survive on part of a liver, assuming you don't screw around with lifestyle stuff. And if he thought he was going to the Garden of Eden, he would be like, I don't need all my liver because I'm going to paradise. Exactly. So he might not have had his whole liver removed which was my first thought and then my second thought went to the very practical well remember when mom was sick and you learned that you could donate her part of your liver but then you learned that you couldn't because her cancer was so far
1: spread that there wasn't a point so that scene at dinner when oh my god you can see it coming from far enough in advance that it's just kind of like oh no no
2: I was so glad Tick was on that. I was just like, oh, do, don't, 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 don't. I figured he got it. I just needed him to catch George in time.
1: So Samuel is trying to like give this lesson because he's the creepy leader of a creepy cult. Well, he's not so much into the cult stuff. He's into the power. He's mm-hmm. into being the leader. Um, and this requires having a creepy cult. He talks about painting of the Garden of Eden and he talks about Genesis 19. 219. 219. Yeah, that's the boring creation story. <laughs> Got to start in Genesis 6. So what is he going on about? I don't understand Christians when they talk about the Hebrew Bible. That's <laughs> entirely fair. It's, it, it's just always such a wacky, weird reading. <laughs> um, so what is he talking about? So he's talking about the
2: idea that... God gave Adam dominion over the animals and by bringing the animals to Adam, he not only made Adam the keeper of the animals, but he made Adam the one who sort of uh, designated what an animal would be as much as anything else. So it not just gave them their name, but
1: as Atticus was saying, their place. Right. This, so this is a like names hold magical power over beings kind of thing. Yeah, and kind of an ontological... You know, you can have a lion, but until it's a lion, it's not really a lion. It doesn't actually translate well to English, because English is an island patois. And so he's trying to get to Eden. Yeah. What's that about? Is that a thing? As far as I
2: can tell, I can't recall in any particular story of the overall weird canon that involves trying to open a door to Eden itself. The closest I think I could come with it was Cellophase, which is a Lovecraft story about a guy who finds this beautiful kingdom in dreams and everything, and he begins to take more and more drugs in order to sleep better and longer, and eventually he's under a bridge. But it's okay because in his dreams he's a king. And so that's a very different take on that idea, right? It's not Oh, somebody opened a door to Eden. There are certainly people who open portals to other worlds and things. But the best getting back to that sacred place kind of thing I could think of, perhaps through the gates of the Silver Key, which I don't think I could summarize right offhand, but that's sort of about getting back to childhood. Childhood, dream places. That's where weird stuff takes us. But if you're going to come up with a cult that more people can understand right off the bat... You could do worse than trying to take it from Genesis. Right, right. Oh, you already know this one. Right, we don't have to do a whole lot of backstory to go, yeah, Adam, Eve, animals, Eden, paradise got fucked up. We're going to open a door back there.
1: In the show Winona Earth*, which you should watch and love, the kind of end route to that involves angels and a gateway to Eden. And the hook in it is that like, why are there sentries at the edge of Eden after the expulsion? Mm-hmm. And the hook is, is it to keep you out or is it to keep something in when they do open the passageway? And like, so you have this wild creationness of Eden trying to get out. So there's the fast-growing vines, which is your jam, right? Yeah, it was totally my jam. Vines, the flowers blooming. Right, this like force of creation. I've never considered Eden, some folks have this idea of Eden as a French garden, you know, like with like manicured hedges and stuff. But the the idea of the beginning of societies where there's just so much creation happening, you don't have fully formed societies in that creation story. So the idea that that's the point where order exists, mm, I don't know. I don't believe it. So what I really liked
2: was when, in that moment of of out-of-control creation, when Atticus sees that power coming out of his ring, and I have questions and I just really have no idea what that power was, but Mm -hmm. as he pulls it toward the doorway and takes control of the ritual himself, there were a couple of things that I thought. First, I wondered if we were going to actually get a glimpse of Eden, and if it would reveal to Samuel Braithwaite that Eve was actually a Black woman. Because that was my first thought when I saw her face. My second thought when I saw her and realized what was happening was that this is a moment of, again, intense fertility and new life and untamed creation. This kind of creation is not the kind of creation that someone like Braithwaite is going for. It's not a very pregnant woman. It's not a mother saving not just her own offspring that's inside of her. She's acting as an ancestor. She's being that birthright. Right. His great-great-great-grandfather didn't save him. She saved him. She led him out. And so she's doing; she's creating and giving life in the past, and she's giving life in the present. And that's so much richer than his vision of Eden, where everything is neatly stacked, and he plans to be on top
1: because he'll be the only human there or something.
2: And that was wonderful. What does he
1: even expect to happen It's just strange. I did think, well, the birthright is not from the pro-demon house. The birthright is from Hannah, this escaped slave. And that's where his power is coming from is not what he inherited from the man with the evil, creepy cult powers, but it's what he inherited the strength from his other ancestor. And even if there is some amount of power in the kind of Lovecraft sense, it's something that he wasn't intended to have, but now he does and he can wield it. However he likes and Before the ritual, well, one, we had another extremely creepy moment, which is Christina just staring at his nakedness while they prepared him for the ritual, which was. It's creepy to be prepared by a group of servants and just even creepier (laughs) to have just some woman just staring at you the whole time and just having a conversation with you. But she has this discussion with him where it's unclear if she hates the evil demon cult. Because she doesn't get to be in it, or because it's fundamentally evil. Isn't that like white feminism in a nutshell, though? (laughs) It's pretty much. But in the end, it doesn't matter, because Mm -hmm. she's willing to give up everything. Yes. To let him destroy it. Which is what she gives him a little cue. He thinks he has the power, but it's you who has the power Just see your opportunity and take it. The fact that she knows it's coming leads me to believe that she is the most likely person to continue to be in the show.
2: Yeah, the actress is still in the show. I confess to looking that up. Uh-huh. I didn't look up William though. So, but if she's on it, then surely her creepy twin is on it, right?
1: Eh, we don't need him. Who needs men? Okay, so before dinner, we have a set of scenes where Each of our heroes are experiencing visions. And my question to you about this is, when did you realize that Tick was not the Tick with Letty? I started off by thinking
2: this is some weird kind of trap or something that they've set up. Like, he can't possibly have gotten out. Um, And then I got moved by how distracting it was. And then I started thinking, really? They're going to have them, like you know, make out in the second episode, that's okay. That's moving a little fast. And then, yeah, I think it was the part where he pulled off his shirt and I didn't get the vibe that he and Letty had had anything ever going before. And so I felt like he, he would be confident in that situation, but not under these circumstances, not necessarily with Letty. And then of course, you know, as soon as he like felt acted like he wasn't going to stop or anything, I was like, oh, that isn't him and or he's possessed and I really hope he's not possessed. And I was so relieved he wasn't possessed. Like when I saw that green snake coming out of his pants, oh, dude, I was on so relieved. The,
1: the cutback, right? So they, they did the CGI swing around the mansion. And you're like, well, then. So I'm just like, well, whatever. Oh, you're yeah. telling me a story. Sure. Okay. This seems a little out of character, but you know, what the heck? Because I don't like ask questions. <laughs> I just didn't, am like here to hear you tell my story. And then they pan around into the other room and it's tick again. Wait a minute, and then Tick is fighting with a Korean girl, right? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. So. And so it was into that when I realized, like, they're each having their own vision, and it's each a vision of someone they love. hmm And so then it's a little bit enjoyable until we realize that it's fucking dinner theater. Yeah. Yeah, it's not catharsis, oh, it's not getting to know themselves better. God, there's like no they're just fucking with them.
2: Yeah, like I mean they're gonna invite them down to dinner, but they're not invited to drinks. They are the entertainment for drinks. Like, oh my lord. Oh my
1: and, god. And you know
2: they they ask, like, what's Braithwaite's daughter doing here? Which clearly again gave off that it's really a white men's club, and they're going to invite these black men to dinner but first they're going to really fuck around with them although George seems the least fucked around with he really he's I really appreciated his presence in that he knew that this was a vision he knew it wasn't real he was willing to engage with it and then to let it go and
1: i really oh it was very touching and headline you were right mhm um about two things one about um Ticks mother mhm and two, some secret passages. And he was not at all phased by there being a secret passage. No. Um, what book was that? So it was another Arkham oh, House book. book that he yeah. pulled to get into the secret passage into a very nice reading room with a book that you need right there. Who's planting what, right? Is this a
2: level of librarianship that we can only aspire to? Tune in next time to find out. So the book that he pulled is called The House on the Borderland. It's definitely one that's in the weird genre versus, say, the horror genre, in my opinion. A guy travels to a strange plane. He meets people that are actually more like pig people. He gets back to his own reality. One of the pig people follows him through and infects his dog with this horrible fungal parasite thing.
1: And stuff just sort of collapses down around him. So when he was having the vision, he was describing a book. And this Mm -hmm. is the book he was describing.
2: Yeah, William Hope Hodgson's House on the Borderland. And I have to admit that the last time I read it, I found it really boring. But I think that's because it's kind of a one-man narration. And I was trying to listen to it as an audiobook. And my brain just could not hold on to it. The concept isn't not my thing. It's just, as a book, it's not not the most gripping I've encountered. But it's a fitting metaphor for both finding a house that is strangely out of place, that is peopled by things that aren't quite right or real, and for everything to come collapsing
1: down around you. And so... Right, so that was definitely some foreshadowing. Yeah. Not metaphorically, but like actually collapsing. Uncle George gave the greatest pep talk in the hallway after they had their visions. He just gathered them real close, and he was like, clear eyes, full heart, can't lose. And it was really moving. Yeah. And that should have let me know that something bad was going to happen to him. That, and he
2: got up and gave that amazing, I have read your bylaws! (laughs) And now I shall take control
1: of your gathering. To be familiar with the bylaws is a Oh, it's the power. greatest power. Oh, that's how you get in charge of the homeowners association and you get to build a deck, which other people don't get to build. You can find a little loophole for yourself. I really like that when he got up, Tick was like, what is going on, yeah, sir? And then he got on board so quick and he was like, I know where we're going. We're going, fuck you.
2: And Braithwaite's face where he's like, I served you guys my liver. It's like, and nobody ate it. Nobody ate it. He served them his liver and nobody ate it. They did not receive his gifts. Oh my God. I did. (laughs) Like, I've felt unappreciated for gifts before, but I've never (laughs) in my life
1: Ungrateful. Yeah, you wouldn't even like try and like sneak a bite of that before you left in a in a huff? I mean
0: (laughs) This week I need you to know about the Black Guy Who Tips podcast. Rod and Karen are a couple from Charlotte, North Carolina, who host this free comedy podcast with the motto, Nothing's wrong if it's funny. They are funny, and they're incisive, topical, and all-around great people. And they produce a lot of content, including the best recaps in the game. You can hear their Lovecraft Country recaps on episodes 2162 and 2167. Check the archives for recaps of Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, and you can subscribe to Premium for even more content, including shows like This Too Much, where Rod and best-selling author Bossy Ickby discuss shows like This Is Us, Atlanta, and Insecure. The Nerd-Off, where a panel of black nerds discuss movies, video games, anime, comic books, and more. And Spoiled Movie Reviews, reviews where they spoil the movies. Old episodes of Spoiled Movie Reviews are available for free as well. You can find the Black Tips podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Go there, hit subscribe. I can't recommend them highly enough. It's the only podcast I listen to.
1: do in fact rescue Montrose which was hilarious
2: yeah I mean first they broke down into that basement vault that Uncle George had noted was there and then White Lady shows up and she's like I knew you'd do it and then Letty shows up oh my god good god Letitia which is from earlier what George says when he first sees her which is I mean she looks amazing that riding outfit
1: but she also looks amazing giving that lady a shovel to the face so then they find the like secret passage that he's been digging his way out with a spoon right? That's so Count of Monte Cristo. And then they cut to just like a shot of the grass, right? And hand reaching up through the the soil. But what you don't know is that they went back up the stairs outside. So Montrose claws his way out through the dirt and they're just like, hey, yeah, oh, how's it going? <laughs> it's like, oh, I felt I felt I understood like,
2: I I understood their vibe for, like, we will leave you behind if you don't get in and come with us. But also, I just did his, you do not understand how long it has taken me to do this, and you couldn't let me for 10 seconds of victory.
1: Plus, he gives Tick a talking to about the letter. Like He's like, I got your letter. I came to rescue you. And he's like, you know I'm a terrible father. (laughs) Why? Did you do that? And so he says he wrote the letter under duress um, and that he should have uh, recognized it as such because he hasn't written him in four years when he was overseas Mm -hmm. in a war. Then they try and escape and they get shot. Yeah,
2: the part where they got shot, like I knew Letty wouldn't die because I knew that there was a lot more series coming and that she was
1: in it. Yeah. That trauma when she woke up Oh, God, where she was like dead, like she bled out and then he healed her.
2: And then when she wakes up and runs to the bathroom and is just freaking out, that was other than Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I would say one of the most like realistic resurrections as I would conceive of resurrections that you could have.
1: Mm hmm. So the, the deal is that. George will get healed by Samuel after they complete. The ceremony at dawn which is
2: yeah opening the portal to eden
1: yeah i don't really feel like that's a smart bargain but what are you gonna do because i don't think there's an after to opening the portal to eden
2: i don't know who all's going through right like it seems like the daughter's not included and maybe not all of the members of the group
1: either. i don't really think he plans on letting anyone else through but
2: yeah that's also my sense
1: But it doesn't go his way. And everyone gets churned to stacks of just very meticulously stacked dust. And then the entire house collapses. And Hannah, his ancestor, leads him out to safety where his family is waiting for him. And they're like, let's get the fuck out of Dodge. Yeah, except. Except they moved. George with the bullet in his gut and he does not make it.
2: I didn't know if George would make it all the way through everything. I feel like
1: we'll still have quite a bit of George in maybe flashbacks. I hope so. I mean, if you got Courtney Vance in a contract. You've got Courtney Vance
2: and you've got Michael K. Williams and their brothers.
1: But we don't really know anything about Montrose other than that he's a drunk and a terrible father. And he's maybe not even Tick's real dad. Right. Which would maybe contribute to him being a a terrible father.
2: Maybe even contribute to him being a drunk.
1: Right. There was a very Fences moment in there where Montrose says, we sorted that out back then. That, to me, was like a kind of cool callback. This episode gave good backstory for really
2: all four of the characters. So during those horrible voyeurism scenes, we get an unwritten, an unspoken backstory for Tick. Oh, yeah. With, I I don't actually think Jia is trying to kill him. You know, he's called her up, but it's probably trauma of memories from the war Memories of falling in love with someone. And then you got Letty with her story about her mom. Oh, God, that was that was heartbreaking. And it, it also got me all up on this thing of, you know, her mom wouldn't have to be so dependent on men. If life had offered her more options, even if you were a white woman back when Letty was growing up as a kid, you didn't have a ton of options, especially if you had a kid. And then if you're a black woman with a kid, probably your only option in the city is cleaning. That was touched on in episode one. And so in this world, it makes sense for her to attach herself to men. And that creates such a hard situation for Letty and for her mom. And so I found myself feeling much more anger on behalf of both of them, I guess, on the second time around, especially. But that's such a vulnerable place that she goes into And then we get George's reminiscences, both with the mysterious lady that he's dancing with, and then with Montrose. And we understand that that George and Montrose grew up in Tulsa. Yes. And so I have questions about that timeline that haven't yet been answered, but maybe they will be.
1: Huh. Yeah. Because
2: if it's Fight 55 or whatever, and they grew up in Tulsa, did they grow up in Tulsa...
1: Before. Yeah, so it could have been the the either they're moving in like great migration kind of move. Maybe this woman died uh during the race massacre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so
2: besides the trauma of growing up with the father who beat them,
1: besides the joy of friendship and everything. Well, there's so many unanswered questions about the background of his mother and his father and uncle that I think that we'll get into.
2: Yeah, we pretty much have to. This episode left me with some answers and even more questions. You mentioned that you wanted to talk about the art. So, well, was it the serpent dick or something else?
1: I did love that the serpent dick was stained glass and not just a painting. I just was imagining the hours of handcraftsmanship that went into creating (laughs) the serpent as a penis, which is just the level of single entendre is not... That's another thing in this episode where you knew it was coming, but it was still horrible when it came. I didn't know it was
2: coming, actually. No,
1: because they just showed his pants for so long, and I was like, oh, my God. Because I knew at this point this was like visions, and I was like... This poor girl. And so then he's like doing undoing his pants. So I was like, it's going to be the goddamn serpent. Oh my God. And it was from the stained glass. But as they're walking down the hallways, there's all this super weird art that they walk by. The normal stuff that you would hang in a hallway, like family photos and, you know, pictures of your grandparents, except for that this is a creepy cult. So it's like remember that time when we sacrificed alive. Just memories. I, I didn't get a chance to go through and look at it again, but I did note it. It was one of those things where, as the episode was going through, I was like, there is more there that I'm not getting. Watching it go by,
0: there's more there that I'm not getting.
2: So, what did you think of the use of the spoken word poem Whitey's on the Moon? for the ritual.
1: So I think if you were just to have a scene of a weird ritual, it would get really campy
2: mm-hmm.
1: really quickly. And this is like a, an emotionally pivot moment as well, where Tick is taking control. So to turn down the volume on what's actually happening in the show And just overlay it with something that is both completely different. It gives you something else to do. As you're hearing this poem, you're trying to connect it with what's going on. You're trying to like receive two streams of information and then connect them all at Mm -hmm. once, which is a lot for your brain to do. It made the ceremony less campy and it added a level of depth instead so it took something that could have been super campy and turned it into something that was the opposite of that i really loved it what did you think about the poem itself so it was in late 2018
2: that i was on a long drive and i was reading a book about the politics of the 60s and 70s and how that related to the apollo space program And in that book, I learned two really interesting things. I heard part of the text of the prose poem, Ladies on the Moon, which I then went and looked up when I got to a stop so that I could listen to the whole thing. And I learned that 150 mostly Black people, many mothers and children, and Ralph Abernathy, who had become the head of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference after Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated, And two mules showed up at the Apollo 11 launch, which is a piece of history that I had never, ever heard about. I not only grew up with the space program in my life, but I also grew up with a grandfather who had actually worked for NASA and worked on some things out there. I have also worked at NASA. I have so many mixed feelings about things related to that, but both of those really emphasized that the amount of money being spent on the space program, this trip to the moon, this thing that was definitely interesting scientific research and seen as the pinnacle of human achievement was coming at the same time that black people were still having promises broken to them. The poem Whitey's on the Moon starts with how uh, a rat had bit his sister Nell last night. And I believe, was meant to speak to the conditions in projects and in other areas where you have some people in America living in a place where they are getting bit by rats or you have the Poor People's Campaign that's saying there are huge technological and social injustices and inequities of this country and you're spending so much money on the war in Vietnam and on the moon landing. And so in this scene, it seemed a lot to me like it was both maybe introducing us as watchers to this piece. And also I liked what you said about it, not being about it, making the scene less campy. And I think too, there was something meant to be drawn there between how for, white people they're coming at the pinnacle of entering a new world achieving a new civilization a new thing mm-hmm. and then contrasting. But, yeah
1: where you can't even do this one right really you know so mm-hmm. wh- where are you going right yeah so like <laughs> another thing kind of the mood of that poem is like now i can't even go to the moon to get rid of you <laughs> um and just live my life without you coming in and ruining stuff for me um which is uh super legit maybe a lesson to us having a podcast about black art and just being white people so i said last week that i was just expecting a nice exposition but it turns out that these two episodes together are the exposition and we're like done with lovecraft country so Now, this is like the door has been opened. He is in possession of creepy birthright powers. Still somewhat unexplained. But now we're just going to go back home where shit is going to continue to get weird.
2: Yeah, I don't know what's up with that. Letty apparently takes a
1: haunted house in an all-white neighborhood. Very excited for that. Especially with her being resurrected. Oh, I hadn't thought of that twist. I, I just thought of it when you, you mentioned it just now. Does her having been dead play a role in this haunted house? And I'm interested to see what kind of like dead person that we're dealing with, because there's lots of tropes. And I feel like it'll be interesting to see if we have like a very American kind of dead person ghost monster, or if it's more towards what has been very popular, which is the Japanese version a ghost with an agenda and bad intentions
2: well i don't like that it's stealing the bed covers because i'm 99 percent sure that's coming in this episode yes and i am
1: not looking forward to that seems like it has part of its face missing are you looking oh, forward God. to that
2: no no <laughs> i'm really not well i'll see you next week getting the fuck out of lovecraft country
1: try those um eden brews
2: <laughs> nobody's making beer in eden <laughs>
1: beers like beer is uh, safer than water to drink everyone drank beer throughout history okay but um, not in eden yes in eden
2: actually god does love delicious meat odors so much
1: so much uh, in in god's defense delicious meat odors are the best